At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Decades ago, I started growing food in my front and backyard, and I realized that my mission in life is to inspire and empower others to grow their own nutrient-dense, healthy, organic food. Because of this, a lot of people have come to me with their gardening questions over the years, and that got me thinking, what if we put together a community that would help budding gardeners blossom? So I finally made the idea a reality with my Urban Farm U member program. Each month, your membership includes three live online events, a monthly class, a chit-chat with an expert, and a monthly coaching session, plus access to the experts on our member page and a significant discount on our signature courses. I'm deeply committed to transforming our global food system, and I do this by empowering you to grow your own food. The Urban Farm Membership Program is a simple way to get going. Please join me in transforming your food system today. To learn more, go to urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. That's urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food Revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Marianne West to talk about her experience with growing her food forest. Marianne is the co-host, co-producer of the Sustainable Living Podcast the co-organizer of the San Diego Permaculture Meetup Group, and the founder and organizer of the TOP Organic Edibles Garden Club. TOP stands for Transition, Organic, and Permaculture. She is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, who is very much involved in the life of her three grandchildren. Marianne teaches yoga and other subjects and keeps working on developing her writerly self. Welcome to the show today, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. I'm very excited to be here with you. (laughs) Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at? Sure, sure. I mean, it's a long and winded path, so I'm not going to share every single thing of it. But I pretty much got here by discovering permaculture. And nice. I mean, it got here in, we are going to talk about food and growing food and, you know, all of those things today. And for me, when I found permaculture, it was almost like a homecoming. <laughs> I understand yeah, that. Yeah, I grew up in, in Germany at, and 
I mean, my children always say that I probably grew up and said dinosaurs were still roaming, you know, when I tell them <laughs> about uh-huh. my reality, because, you know, Germany at the time, even so I was born, uh, you know, probably 15 years or so after the war, yep. it was still a lot more depressed. Mm. When, when you know, I was born, my mom got her first washing machine. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so different reality. We we walked to school. There were no cars around and right. no TV and stuff. And the garden was a big part of our daily food intake, what we mm. grew, we ate. Right. And so I was surrounded by... Uh, growing plants by canning, by preserving, and then actually eating out of the garden. That was when I was a kid. And uh-huh. when when I was a teenager, my parents sold the garden because it was getting too much work mm-hmm. and economy was better. So it was easier to just buy things. <laughs> right. But, you know, that experience kind of stuck with me. And so I always had started gardens where I was living once I came here to the States, uh-huh. but I never lived in one place long enough to see one really cool oh, right. <laughs> come yep. to you know, fruition. So then now this house, we are living in uh, six years now, and it's probably going to be, well, you never know what happens, but the plan is we're going to stay here. <laughs> yeah, not going anywhere. Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and my life circumstances changed to a place where I was able to spend more time in the garden and to do more of that food growing things. So that's kind of how I got here. Is that kind of answering your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. So tell us, tell us. So we we recently, you and I recently chatted on the phone and we did a uh, site evaluation of your space so i know a little bit about your space you need to tell everybody mm-hmm. about your space because it is cool well thank you yeah it, i'm i'm working on making it hopefully cooler <laughs> <laughs> so we we are living in a suburb of well uh, it's not san diego it's its own little city but we're in san diego county uh-huh. which means we have a year-round growing season mm. and actually as we speak right now it's the very end of september as we are talking yep. Yep. uh it's uh almost 100 degrees out we uh-huh. yeah it's it's warm and warmer than it was during the summer really right and right now we are going into our winter growing season here. So that's one thing. We have year-round growing. Then nice. uh, my, So I would say uh, growing zone, we are 9B about, some like that. We're a little bit inland from the ocean, uh-huh. but still close enough that we don't get really harsh winters. Like San Diego County is uh, big enough that you can have, you know, sunshine on the beach and actually snow in the mountains. So <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Not not snow, which will stick around for long. But yeah. So I'm I'm in the warm part. I we don't get frost, uh, frost free oh, pretty nice. much all year. Yeah, yeah. Nice, so I nice, can nice. I can grow tropicals like bananas and papayas and stuff like that. I have a third of an acre, uh-huh. which is pretty big for. You know, a very expensive city. Right. And I have a good trick to make that acre feel even bigger is uh-huh. our house is very small. Mm, yes. <laughs> so it just takes about 800 square feet. Wow. Of, of that growing space. Mm-hmm. 
And I have a front yard, which is uh, southern exposure. So oh, it probably... nice. Yeah, it has the most uh, sun exposure during the winter. Mm-hmm. And it has a completely different microclimate. And I don't know if you want to go into microclimates right now. Sure. Uh, tell, tell everybody what a microclimate <laughs> is since you brought it up. Okay. So basically, I said we're going zone 9B, right? But there are areas in my yard which are much more sheltered mm-hmm. and stay warmer. And other areas where the wind comes in more or it's just colder for different kind of reasons. Right. So my front yard is the warmest part, pretty much. There is, It's very sheltered and... It uh, doesn't have any wind exposure. Mm-hmm. But in the backyard, it can get quite windy, and so it gets a lot uh, cooler. So it's a perfect time to go all winter long. And right now, I am planning on having my front pretty much. I have trees, and I have fruit trees mm-hmm. out front, but mm-hmm. I keep them short. I, right. want, I, I don't want to have to climb up any ladders. Yep. And part of that is that, well, it has several reasons that I want to keep them short. One is I'm scared of heights. Uh (laughs) So climbing a ladder is like a real event for me. You know, I have to to feel brave to do it. That's one. Uh And uh, two is that, you know, as we get older, it's safer not to. Yeah get off the ground too much yep yeah, i <laughs> completely know? understand that well it makes them when you keep the trees small it makes them easier to manage and easier absolutely. to pick right absolutely yeah and then the other reason i want to keep them small is i want to be able to plant more trees yeah. i want to have a lot of different varieties mm-hmm. so my eventual goal is to have always something fresh coming out of the garden nice which is very possible here oh yeah it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Phoenix, and we do that here in Phoenix. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's different, yeah. So that, that the different fruit trees, in fruit tree orchard culture, that's what we call successive ripening. So like with peaches here in the low desert, we can, mm-hmm. we can plant peaches that ripen, and there's about a half a dozen different kinds that ripen starting about May 15th all the way to July 15th. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can do similar things here. Yeah. So, uh, and also, I think it it really gets you aware what fresh fruit mm-hmm. tastes mm-hmm. like, you know, when oh you harvest it off your tree. Uh-huh. And then I think it's, I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, like you get a crop in the first one, the first plum or the first peach, you can hardly wait to get it. Oh, yes. And then you eat them, you eat them, you eat them. And then <laughs> when... <laughs> You know, the successive trees are gone. Yeah. Then it's exciting to eat a different fruit, yeah. you know, to start yep. with the next one coming in. Yep. Exactly. And so, you know, for me, since I grew up with that garden uh, as a major food source, I was used that at certain times you had certain fruit and then you don't yeah. have them anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think right now, a lot of us are so used to go to the supermarket and it doesn't matter what time of the year it is. You right. can have strawberries, you, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, but the taste is so different when, when it's fresh and homegrown, I think, you oh. know, it might, might be my bias. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. 
Well, if it is, it's if it is, it's our bias. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it is, it's our bias. So tell me about your permaculture experience. You did you do a permaculture design course? Yes, I did. Uh, I first did a local design course, and it was over several weekends, over nice. three months, uh-huh. which was great because there was a lot of hands-on work involved. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I'm kind of, I love reading books and learning from books, but I also need to send translates that into the hands-on. And oh, it really yes. helps me yep. when I can do a project with somebody who already knows it. Uh-huh. You know, it just seems to make so much more sense. And if, if both of those come together, you know, it's a brain and the hands. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. So tell, tell everybody what a permaculture design course is. So a permaculture design course is a 72-hour course which covers a lot of different aspects of permaculture. And so from, uh, well, permaculture, since we haven't really defined it. But oh, please do then. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things which everybody says um, different Absolutely. what it is. So what's <laughs> you yours? Know? What's yours? Because I'll tell you mine in a minute, but what's yours? Okay, well... I like the idea of permaculture being a design system which can be applied to agriculture, where it, mm-hmm. you know where kind of the word is coming from from perma, permanent agriculture. Yep. But it can be applied to all different systems, and the importance of the design system is that there are principles and ethics involved, yeah. which uh, mean that we are not just doing something because we can. But you think about what will the earth be like when I do this? So mm. there's earth care involved. So mm-hmm. we are not just going to pollute nilly-willy or, you know, do do things without considering the consequences. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, people care involved. Really, I mean, if you say earth care, people are part of the earth, but we separate it anyways and yeah. say it's people care. And I just heard a really um, nice headline, or so a, a nice headline. Um, as you're aware, Bill Mollison, who is a co-founder of Permaculture, just passed away. Yep, just this last and, week. Yeah, and so somebody wrote the headline said, "Permaculture is a revolution, uh, hiding as organic gardening." Yeah, that is the case. That is the case. Yeah, so I really like that. Love that. I I like to call I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. How do we get in the flow and work in the flow of nature? Very nice. Yeah. 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 I I did my I did my original permaculture design course in 1992 with Tim Murphy here in Phoenix. Who was your teacher? Uh, Josh Robinson. Oh, nice, good. Yeah, yeah. So actually, he was somewhere based. I don't, I don't know if he was in Arizona or New Mexico, but he was uh, there. And and one thing I find is like with each teacher you encounter, they have, they will teach all the principles yep. in that seventy-two hour course. Mm-hmm. But each teacher has like a particular strength or oh, love, yeah. and that just comes really through. Yeah. And for Josh Robinson, it's water and water harvesting. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, and I certainly feel deeply influenced by that because, 
you know, that's well, and we live in a semi desert. So water is our big topic here. Yeah. You know, we don't have enough. So, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that was, you know, that's one of the obvious next questions is you, you, you know, you guys are in drought, uh, stage two drought in California. Right. Um, how is, how is your knowledge of permaculture impacting your design to address the drought? Well, I use a lot of different techniques, I want to say, uh, to address it. So one of them is I utilize all the gray water I can. And gray water is water which was already used, like in the washing machine. Mm -hmm. But it's not dangerous, which... Just to make it very clear, washing machine water can be very bad for your plants if you use <laughs> laundry detergents, yeah. which, you know, are full are of all for kinds your plants. of plants. That's right. Yeah. Uh, or bleach or stuff like that. So I use only laundry detergent, which is biodegradable and uh -huh. breaks down and is also formulated for trout areas. So yeah. it doesn't have any salt in it. Perfect. You know, because a lot of the even. Wash it, uh, gray water safe or so-called gray water safe detergents have a lot of salt, right. which is fine if you're in Oregon where you get a lot of rainwater, but uh, not so fine if, in Arizona or California. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's a big no-no. So I use uh, so washing machine water goes to six different basins where oh, then nice. yeah, plants are around. And we also use uh, so shower and sink water. Mm hmm and uh, I took it even one step further that I use my kitchen sink water, which is officially considered black water. Right. And black water is considered uh, things like uh, sewage. Right. But yeah, and I have one sink for my kitchen. I take the water out to my landscape uh -huh. and I disperse it in mulch. So, and I don't uh, use any harsh chemicals, right. but if I have, and I have the other thing going to the sewer line. So if I have things where there was a lot of salt in or oil or vinegars, you know, things like that, which wouldn't be good for the soil, uh -huh. I rinse it in that side of the sink which doesn't go out to the landscape oh, perfect yeah perfect it's always good to design your gray water system so you have a choice absolutely yeah i do have switches and all the gray water systems that i can bring it back to the sewer if if necessary yeah so that's that's definitely the best way to do it because otherwise you can invite problems into yeah. your yard yeah. for sure so that's gray water then the rainwater we get, I'm trying to catch all I can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the beginning, there was buckets sitting everywhere where it would trip down from the roof. And right. I do have several tanks, and I'm hoping that soon I can install a bigger one. So I'm still playing around with the idea of installing a ferrous cement tank. Oh, nice. Yeah, because you can shape him any way you want to. Yep. So I, I want to replace a fence which needs replacing with a tank. But it's uh, a lot of work. And it is, yeah. So I don't, you know, it's still in the dream phase. So we don't know. So, we see. So please explain that. You use the word that a lot of people won't know, ferro-cement. Tell people right. what that is, please. So it's it's a form of 
cement you mix in a way that it's easily shaped by hand mm-hmm. and it will uh, it will become stable so you know it doesn't leach into the water uh-huh. actually i think you glaze the inside of the ink with, with something else but um like when you see cement being poured on the side of the road or whatever uh-huh. that would hold up in a shape so right. the ferrous cement tanks you you actually build like a form out of wire or different mm-hmm. things and then you i think you put chicken wire on them yep. and then you uh, it's almost like a plaster you create, yeah. and then you put really this thick. plaster yep. very thick on onto such form, and then um, is isn't it in Arizona where you have a collective which does like the rainwater urns and mm-hmm. yeah, yep. they actually created a, a shape you can then take out and bring into the next one. So nice. I find it really fascinating and exciting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're doing a lot around water. Yeah. So and I so this is rainwater. Then I also have a so fortunate circumstance that so my yard is um, a culvert, uh-huh. which is taking all the stormwater from a whole neighborhood block mm-hmm. through to my yard. So it's designed to just come in and go out and not touch anything, and that's a lot of valuable water. So mm-hmm. I. Did a little unauthorized uh, pickaxing and (laughs) (laughs) created a place where I said, what I can actually enter a little dam and then um, a ditch, Uh which is um, on the same level. I don't want to say on contour because it's not following the contour of the yard, but it's level. And so when the water comes down that culvert and comes to the dam, it will go into the ditch and then spread around. And then when there's more water, which in a rain event, it's hundreds and thousands of gallons right. coming there, then I have an overflow. It will go over the dam and then back out uh, so the property. And, nice. Uh, yeah. So, so that, that really, yeah. that, I, I really want to do a shout out. For, this is really unique. What you've done with that, because basically you're taking water that would normally run by your house, right? And it's getting redirected into a series of mulch basins, right? Right. Yeah, and and allowed to sink in mm-hmm. on your property. That is very. When you told me that the other day when we were on our call, it was like, wow, that is innovative. So I have to give Josh Robinson credit for that. Good. So we, we talked about that in yep, yep. you know design ideas uh, during the class, and I was like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And you will have people say, oh, but what about uh, you know the dirt which might be on the street and chemicals and so forth, and you know that's a concern. Yep. So it is. Uh, what we do there is like a a silt trap in the beginning so you yep. dig a hole kind of where the water enters so mm-hmm. heavy particles fall in there and then you know I clear it out and take it to the landfill mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then also it's heavily mulched and I do believe in the power of compost and mulching oh, and fungi yep. to break down a lot of those things and then I also sprinkle zeolite uh, all over that ditch oh, and yeah. that's uh, supposedly 
hooks oh. on to certain, uh, you know, chemicals or heavy metals yeah. and makes them inert. So, and then I also have been towards when it's wet, I, I can't use it during the summer because it completely dries out, you know, during the summer. But right. I put oyster mushroom uh, inoculant oh, in there. Oh, yeah. Because they actually eat up the oil and, right. and exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wow, that's cool. the strategy Good there. Job. So and here's, here's what I tell people, because um, I get that question a lot. It's like, what about the pollutants in the city? Why would we even grow food in the city? Because there's so many mm -hmm. pollutants. Well, the truth of the matter is we're polluted everywhere. Exactly. You know, there's the, the fields out, out there, wherever the farms are at, are polluted um, because of the chemicals that we've thrown at them, because of the stuff falling, you know, the rain falling from the sky and picking up. So it, we can't really get away from, from it. So we have to do our best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I so agree with you. And, you know, and I wouldn't go like a root vegetable right next to the ditch, exactly. you know, because yep. that would take on all the stuff like carrots are really good at taking uh pollutants yeah. out of the soil yep, but then i exactly. don't want to eat it right, right so exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah so this is for growing trees and and shrubs and know. yeah exactly yeah, exactly. exactly fantastic so i so, you know I, yeah i'm sitting here looking at this list of stuff you've done and there's so many things i want to ask you so i yeah i almost don't know where to start but i want to talk about your top organic edibles garden club you're the okay. co-founder co of that you're the founder of that i'm the founder of that okay. yeah okay what is it and why did you do it okay so it's a meetup group and it's uh i started it out as a very local garden group and why did I do it? Well, the main reason is our city was fortunate enough to get a big grant from Kaiser, mm -hmm. which is a, a health provider, healthcare mm -hmm. provider. Right. In, in, you know, I think not just in California. I think they're all on they the are. Yeah. Yeah, West Coast. And so they're trying some strategy to bring more health to people. And so I was very excited and I was on, on the board uh, to advise for how to implement the grant and so forth. And I found that people are just very um, non-innovative, I want to say, and just kind of like to sit and talk. And yep. one of the things <laughs> I really <laughs> wanted, well, one of the reasons I wanted to, to promote gardening and organic gardening mm -hmm. is that um, I don't want my neighbors to spray poison on their stuff, yep. which then ends up in my yard, right? Right. And you already mentioned in the beginning, I have grandchildren. And oh, so yeah. I'm looking beyond my own life to to their life, you know, to what, what kind of world are we going to give to them? Mm -hmm. And that's one reason. And then another reason is that our little community here has a high obesity rate in mm, children, yep. very high. And we also have one out of five children living in food insecurity. And food insecurity doesn't mean that you necessarily go hungry that day, but you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. And to me, it's like there's no reason. We live in a climate where things could grow everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to kind of promote that as a community solution. Mm -hmm. You know, said let's all grow food and 
grow it. Like one of the things I do in my front yard, I kind of have an edible hedge towards the street. Oh, nice. Yeah, and as things go bigger, I really want to encourage people to pick. And last year, it actually worked very well. Uh, I have a tangerine tree. It worked too well, actually, because (laughs) (laughs) a lot of my trees are still little. Yeah. And so this tangerine had like a lot of tangerines on and it was the only tree which was producing yet or already. And then somebody like kids came and picked them all. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I want one. Yeah. When <laughs> but I... you know, it works well. I want kids to come and eat that instead yeah. of eating the ice cream, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've made an agreement. There's about uh 10 kids on our street and I've made an agreement with most of them that they can pick it and eat it. They just can't use it as baseballs. Good. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, I I have a school just like three or four houses away from here and over 72% of the kids live underneath the poverty level who attend school. And, you know, every day when school is over, there's an ice cream truck on the other side Uh of the street. And I'm just like, no, we, you know, let's let's try to give some alternatives to that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's, you know, that's one of the motivations that I, I founded at Garden Club because I wanted people to just let's come together. And actually, our goal originally was to try to connect preschools with people willing to help and maintain a garden. Uh-huh. So, you know, because I truly believe that if kids start eating healthy and knowing where food comes from and it's fresh and they want to eat it yeah they they maintain that i mean they might go to chunk food for a while but they come back, they to, come back to yeah yeah, yeah. you know to yeah, a better exactly. diet exactly so that's kind of why i did that <laughs> nice 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 so literally we could probably talk for the next three or four hours but i definitely want to get to your podcast I want to talk oh. about, so tell me about the Sustainable Living Podcast. What is it? Um, why did you do it? Okay. So Sustainable Living Podcast is a podcast featuring people like you and I, and I mean, you're a little bit more famous than me. So uh, people which are not necessarily famous and who are doing things to change the world little bit by little bit and you know i think sustainability goes beyond food and gardens there are so many daily choices we make which can either help or hinder and so a lot of us just need a little bit of that nudge or even the know-how and I met my co-host and co-producer on a social media platform out of, <laughs> you know, wow. like, yeah, it was kind of very interesting that we kind of kept posting the same kind of things. And then we had our conversation and my sister is doing um, a show. She lives in Italy and um she had asked me to come on as a guest because we had done a cancer therapy for my husband called uh-huh. the Gerson, 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 yeah, Ger- the Gerson yeah. therapy. Yes. Yeah. Which is very uh, nutritional oriented. And right. I mean, actually, it was I really needed a good garden scent because you go through 20 pounds of produce a day per person. All right. And so she had asked me about that experience and I found it 
a lot of fun to have those kind of conversations. And then there was feedback from people really appreciating to get that information. Oh, yeah. And I contacted this, uh, you know, person I just knew through social media and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing a Google Hangout or a podcast. Would you like to be my co-host? And she's like, oh, yeah, nice. I have been wanting to do a podcast. And that's Janice. That's Janice. And uh, Janice is a social media marketer, which I had no oh. idea that that's what she's doing. So she is way more savvy about the technical side of things. And I've been learning a lot from her. So I started out from not knowing how to do any kind of editing. She taught me how to do that and, you know, went ahead and did also setting up of the website and things like that. And it's fantastic. So in the beginning, I had more of the content duties and she was doing a lot of the behind the scene things. And now we're, um, you know, more doing both a lot of, Interesting. of do you both Do you both interview? Yes, we both interview. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I, I hear I, I got a slot with you guys here in the next couple of weeks. Yes, you do. Nice. You do. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, it's it's really nice. And the motivation behind it, as I say, kind of almost the same like behind starting the Garden Club is uh-huh. to just spread the word because there are times where I have felt uh, kind of, sad about the future of our world and <laughs> yeah. that's not a good place to be at yeah and it's a very a place of not feeling powerful yeah. you know yeah. but when you can do something every little thing we can do is you know moving into the right direction and so that's how we started the podcast and it's a lot of fun i find you meet a lot of interesting people so the podcast that and is the case yeah, and explore topics I might not have thought of, but then now I look at everything which comes across my either news feed or, mm-hmm. you know, on social media with eyes like, wow, what is this person doing and how can we bring their work to more eyes to see and more ears to hear? Yeah. And personally, I love podcasts because I I don't have a lot of time to spend in front of the computer or yep. to look at videos. Yep. So podcast I can consume on my phone, you know, when I'm out in the garden or right. doing which don't need my full mental attention. Yep. I can listening to podcast and I got a lot of my permaculture education through podcast as well. So nice. yeah, yeah. I listen to them on my runs in the morning. There you go. So, yeah. <laughs> so it looks like you put out a podcast a week. Yeah, pretty much. That's the goal right now. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That is awesome. And like I said, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to being your guest here in the next few weeks on the Yay. podcast. <laughs> Me too. So <laughs> I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fairy and what you might have learned from it. Mm. So first of all, I'm going to step away from the word failed. Okay. And <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And the reason is, I think maybe it was just my particular upbringing, but I, I think a lot of people have experienced that maybe said our things were not enough or, you know, said you were felt that it's not good enough. So 
failure has such kind of a negative uh, connotations that I rather look at it as learning experiences or, right. <laughs> you know, things I tried which had very different results. Right. And I had many of those, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we learn the most, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes, I mean, one of my garden teachers put it in a way like if you look at plants and planting and a plant dies and you might look at it as a failure or as an opportunity to plant something else in that spot. <laughs> so. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, here's no, what I, here's yeah. what I tell here's what I tell people. I promise you, I've killed more plants than you have. Not on purpose, but that's how I've learned. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, I would say one of my um, if you want to call it, you know, like you could call a failure or something, is that I tend to do too much. I <laughs> love new ideas and I get very excited about things and. I forget that I'm just one person and that's only 24 hours in the day yeah. and I'm not superwoman, so I'm very disappointed in that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I understand <laughs> yeah. that. I understand that. So Marianne, what I see in your pattern and in your bio and in everything is you get a lot done. Yeah, I do get a lot done, and then I also do not get a lot done. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. That's what we have to forgive ourselves for, because what I found for myself is that my list of things to do as of today, Mm -hmm. basically September of 2016, is longer than what I'm going to be able to accomplish in the rest of my life, and I'm 55 years old. And I, I miss you. And I add new stuff on it all the time. So that's the stuff we have to forgive ourselves about. And how do you get so much done? What's your what's your trick there? What's your thought there? Well, I think one of the things is that, you know, something I said could be my failure is also my strength. That I do get excited about things mm-hmm. and then I dive very deeply into learning about it. And uh, it's kind of like how children learn. They have one thing they're interested in and keep doing it. And yes. I think that's what my pattern is. I go very deeply into some and then you can accomplish a lot and get a lot of knowledge about a subject. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you you get things done. And I think, I mean, I, I get a lot done so too by sometimes not taking care of myself. And mm. that is a pattern I have been working on breaking. Yeah. And I definitely am suggesting to everybody who does a lot to add that self-care element. Put and you, yeah, put, it's really important. Yeah. Put your oxygen mask on first. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so finding uh, yoga and, you know, meditation oh, yes. and actually being very aware of the diet and so forth really does help. Does help. You yeah. know? Yeah. So what and you, then you ahead. cut out things like watching a lot of television oh, or, yeah. yep. <laughs> you know, right. exactly. that's not on the program. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success? Well, you know, my biggest success 
I feel are my children. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time being a at home mom and a homeschooler and home person and blah, 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 you know, all yeah. of those things. Uh-huh. And uh, my, I have four siblings and I feel we are not very close. And for me, as I was raising my children, it was very important for them to be close. And so that really worked out. We are all very close together and are very connected as a family. So that's my biggest success period in life, I would say. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, uh, getting this place here together when we come back to permaculture and gardening, mm-hmm. even so, I still see this long list for the next 50 years <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of things I want to do. Yep. If I look at pictures, what I started out with, basically, a lawn mm-hmm. <laughs> front and back. Oh my gosh. And where I'm at now, I, I do feel it's already pretty good. Mm-hmm. And my next challenge is getting my irrigation down to where it actually works. And when I have done that, mm-hmm. I'm going to call you up and say, that's my biggest success for right now. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. What drives you? Like, what's your big uh, why? I think my big why is that I care about the future, not just of my family, mm-hmm. but everybody. And I feel said there, I mean, it feels like there is a movement going that more and more people are getting it. And so that makes it much easier to yeah. keep going. You yeah. know, if you don't oh, feel like only crazy trying to, you know, right. take and grocery bags to the store or go food or, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. As, as little as 10 years ago, they still thought I was pretty crazy here in Phoenix. Now I'm kind of the, you know, the urban farm guy that uh, everybody's kind of, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are trying to mimic what I'm doing here. And it's like, yay, bring it on. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you do a lot. I mean, you have created a lot of online presence and I think you also are going to teach your online PDC pretty soon, right? No, I can't imagine. No, I can't imagine teaching a permaculture design course online because the there's so much hands-on community building that's done inside of a PDC mm-hmm. that you just don't get with an online one. Well, actually, you do in a lot of ways because I also took the Jeff Laden online course, mm-hmm. the first one. Mm-hmm. And that was actually amazing how people did connect. You know, I think it's it's very different. You yeah. know, like the so online course gives you an opportunity to go over things over and over and over again. Oh yeah. And there is, you know, with the power of the internet, it's pretty oh, amazing yeah. how we can connect and what we can do. Yep. You know, but uh, I do like. So in-person course a lot because yeah. of the hands-on experience. So yeah. So so are you teaching a PTC or are you <laughs> or am I mistaken, sir? No, 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 no. Actually, you're you're right on. We actually tomorrow, October first, two thousand sixteen, is our tenth year here in Phoenix that uh, uh, a group of us, Don, Titmus, Dan, Dorsey, and I have over the past ten years. Um, we've done sometimes together, sometimes apart, but so Phoenix since, uh, 2006 has had at least one, if not two permaculture design courses every year. Excellent. 
Excellent. Yeah. So tomorrow, tomorrow is our. I'd be even be bold, so bold as to call it the tenth annual one here in <laughs> Phoenix that we've been involved in. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm really excited. We have 18 students that are raring to go. So. Cool. That's yeah. a good number. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm all about education. I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you in this process? You know, there are lots and lots of books, but if I have to pick one book, I want to go and boy, now I don't even know the English title. I, I read it in German and I actually bought it with me from Germany at one point. Wow. And it's by John Seymour. And uh, if I translate the title, it would be uh, Self-Sufficiency from Your Yard. But he's actually an English uh, author and he's probably dead by now because I read that book when I was uh, 18 or even before. Oh, yeah. And it's all about, you know, it. I mean, that was part of the going back to the land uh, movement and yep. all of that. But I think it always kind of stuck with me. And, you know, a lot of people in the permaculture movement are um, kind of into that mode of trying to eat as much as possible from their own yeah. production. Yep. Maybe more now so because we deal with so much crazy things out there like GMO and, you know, crazy pesticides and, and right. stuff like that. So so that was definitely one. And then Gaia's Garden by oh, Toby yes. Ham Henry is a big one. Of course, uh, Bill Mollison, Pipeball, you know, oh, so yeah. <laughs> big yeah. permaculture. And that one is, is kind of more of a reference book, I would say. Oh, yeah, you know? exactly. But it's it's there to to go back to and i have a whole bookshelf i mean brent lancaster's <laughs> book about water harvesting have definitely uh you know influenced a lot of what i'm doing yeah so yeah lots of books cool what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners hmm do one thing at a time oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and hold on and get it done right and get it done yeah. don't that 10 things because that, I mean, that's one of the tenets of permaculture is to sit back and observe and that's probably one of the things I have a hard time with to be patient enough not want to jump in right away and I certainly have wasted time by studying too many projects and mm -hmm. then not, not be able to take care of all of them yeah so set advice of starting small and learning and you know then moving bigger is actually a good one yeah but you know it's you get lots done too if you do too much and <laughs> <laughs> some of it yeah. survives but yeah. it's easier on you if you start smaller yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today marianne it has been a treat getting to chat with you thank you and I'm really looking forward to continue the conversation oh, on our yeah. podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So how can our listeners get a hold of you, find out about your podcast? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So we have iTunes, has it, Stitcher. We have a website. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called sustainablelivingpodcast.com is Good. our web address. Perfect. Personally, you can send me an email at sustainablelivingpodcast uh, at gmail.com. And yeah, I mean, if you Google us, we have a blog. Um, I think, yeah, pretty much all the different devices where you can download a podcast, yeah. we, should, we should be there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And if you go to urbanfarm.org backslash SLP, 
SLP, that's for Sustainable Living Podcast, SLP. Uh-huh. That's the show notes page. Cool. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Decades ago, I started growing food in my front and backyard, and I realized that my mission in life is to inspire and empower others to grow their own nutrient-dense, healthy, organic food. Because of this, a lot of people have come to me with their gardening questions over the years, and that got me thinking, what if we put together a community that would help budding gardeners blossom? So I finally made the idea a reality with my Urban Farm U member program. Each month, your membership includes three live online events, a monthly class, a chit-chat with an expert, and a monthly coaching session, plus access to the experts on our member page and a significant discount on our signature courses. I'm deeply committed to transforming our global food system, and I do this by empowering you to grow your own food. The Urban Farm Membership Program is a simple way to get going. Please join me in transforming your food system today. To learn more, go to urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. That's urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.